Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to revisit the coaching group idea I mentioned last week. Here's where my thoughts are. It would be for parents affected by ADHD, obviously, and would include us getting together online via the Zoom video conferencing platform. Each week, we'll discuss a common ADHD parenting challenge, look at it through the lens of the disorder, and apply ADHD-friendly solutions to help navigate that challenge. Since I'm a former educator, you can expect some sort of syllabus, so you know what the plan is, and I'll do whatever teaching is necessary to help us all be on the same page in terms of ADHD knowledge. And there'll be laughter, camaraderie, and that incredibly valuable lesson that we're not alone in our struggles. Let me know if you're interested by emailing me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. This is episode 15. Today, we're talking to Marina Darlow of Vision Framework. Marina guides ADHD professionals in building systems into their business and work lives in order to help them manage the challenges of ADHD. I know, I know, where's the family angle, right? Let's just say I'm using her off-label. She'll be helping us bring a systems approach into the household. As a parent herself, that's certainly something she knows about. In today's episode, we discuss wanting to do good by your family, the characteristics of a good system, the benefits of having good systems, and the value of transition rituals. All right, let's get rolling. So you do work with entrepreneurs and small business owners around developing systems to help them more effectively manage their business. That's correct. I create or sometimes fine tune systems and habits to make business operations easier because then you have time to market and grow and develop your business. Never mind serve, you know, your clients better. So yeah, operations, that's my jam. And, and all of my listeners are going, this is a family podcast. Why are you talking about business? And the reason is because those systems and the, that habit development can be brought into the home to help manage kids and meals and that kind of stuff. Um, because we have habits at home, just like we have habits in the business. I'm sort of using you off label a little bit. I'm glad to be here. I like your podcast. I like the topics you talk about. I'm a parent. We have various settings around the house. So I think it applies the same way we want to be more relaxed and more clear headed in our businesses or at our jobs. We definitely want to be more relaxed and more clear headed at home. Because frankly, as much as I love the people I work with, I love my family a little more. (laughs) I think I want to do good by them even more than I want to do good by everybody else. Why don't we start with just What is the value of systems? What do they bring to the table that is good? Oh, so many. First of all, 
you don't have to think about mundane stuff. You can just do it and free up your thinking space for something that, you know, on the immediate level, just more interesting and on the slightly deeper level is more important. So for instance, if I don't have to struggle every day with getting my daughter out of the house to get her to school, because we follow a certain ritual, we can use this time and mental space to talk about her last chorus lesson or to discuss her friends or to talk about something that caught her interest in the latest book. Essentially, we have more time for the real relationship stuff rather than fighting over what shirt she's going to wear when she leaves the house. If I can put you on the spot, what is the ritual or system around getting your daughter out of the house? Oh, that <laughs> you got me. That's actually very easy. So here's how my ritual goes. And let me tell you, this is the advantage of living in an apartment with only one restroom. Here's why. <laughs> because the person who actually gets to wake up first is my husband. Mm -hmm. And he wakes up my daughter. She goes, has her breakfast. We go through our morning routines. She gets dressed. We make, both make sure that her homework is done for the day, you know, kind of reassuring that it's done from last time. And by both, you mean you and your daughter or you and your husband? Whoever is in the kitchen at that point and my daughter. Okay. He makes lunch. And if he has to work early, I make lunch for her. And actually nowadays, she makes most of it by herself because she just turned nine. So she's a big girl. We make sure we have her lunchbox. We put on socks and shoes and we're out of the door. Cool, so pretty straightforward. Yeah, you know, sometimes we have to like, what's up? Have you still brushed your teeth? No, go brush your teeth right now. No, you can't watch this video, even though you have the five minutes left. But it's mostly, you get up, you have your breakfast, you go brush your teeth, you get dressed, you brush your hair, you make sure your homework is done, you put on socks, shoes, coat, you're out of the house. For ADHD folks, I push as much stuff into the night before as possible to limit the chaos in the morning. Yeah. So we make lunch the night before and, and my boys make most of it too. Um, and then it just goes in the fridge and we do, we make sure all the homework and stuff is in the bag on the hook near the door, ready to go the night before. So that there's a little bit less that we have to pay attention to in the morning. I know the thing that trips up our system the most in recent months has been snow. Not so much that it has causes a delay of school or anything like that, because the system just starts later. But in order for my kids to play in the snow on the playground or outside, if they get to go outside, they have to have snow pants and boots and gloves and a hat and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's a 50-50 chance if we remember to grab it on the way out. <laughs> See, for us, it's not that we remember to grab it out. And speaking of system, so I have a basket where all the snow stuff resides. Mm -hmm. So this is where you put your gloves. This is where you put your hat. Uh, and right next to it is the hook where you put your coat and your snow pants. However, sometimes the gloves stay at school because it was too warm at Reese's and I didn't want to wear them. Or, you know, same, fa same fade goes to the hat. And then it's like, okay, where's the spare hat? Where do we put it? Do we have another one? So that kind of causes some, okay, take mine. <laughs> <laughs> my daughter has a lot of hair. So actually my hat fits pretty well over her bun. So that works. Yeah. And, and that's one of the challenges, I guess, of the systems when you bring them into the house and there's kids around. Kids are really good at messing up systems just by forgetting a piece of it. I assume there's some training that needs to happen. I think so. I have to say, though, 
when your kid sees you dealing with systems day in and day out, and I bet that doesn't necessarily help most of your listeners because how many of you work in systems field? But my daughter, out of her own volition, she took a picture frame with a glass and she made it into a nice to-do list that you could you know, write on with a Sharpie and delete it, with, like wipe it off with a cloth. And it's like her whiteboard. And now she wants a whiteboard to be on her desk. Now, it's a little ridiculous. I'm like super proud because, hey, she follows my, my steps and she's a mini me and it's amazing. What I imagine could, like was the takeaway for your audience would be when your child sees you follow a system, sees you being more organized, they tend to naturally fall along the same lines. Obviously, it doesn't happen in a linear fashion, but the chances of a child being organized when they live in a more organized household, I think are far better. So I grew up in a household that was kind of organized, but my parents were always late and I'm struggling with it. It's still hard for me to be on time. Like I have to, I do systems, makes sense that I need to make my commitments, especially when it comes to showing up on time, but it's hard. Whereas in our household, my husband is very strict about being on time. So our daughter, I think, is much better and also mentally much more focused on being on time. It's like much more important to her and she makes the effort much more than I would naturally do. Flipping that on its ear a little bit. If a kid is in a house that is pretty systematized, pretty organized, they're going to be more organized just by osmosis, just sort of picking it up as they go. But ADHD households often are not that organized, often don't have things nailed down as effectively as they would like. Um, and a lot of that is the nature of ADHD. Right. One thing we haven't really mentioned yet is that you work with clients who have ADHD. In fact, you target clients who have ADHD. You actively seek them out. They target me. That too. Yeah, well, you know, once the ADHD community finds people who are good, we pay close attention to that and commit to it. Thank you. Because you're working with clients who have ADHD, you're familiar with the common traps and pitfalls of the disorder. So what are some of the strategies that you provide to your clients in a business sense that might be able to be brought into the household to help us avoid traps and pitfalls when we try to set up these systems? I'll be honest to preface it with the fact that I've never worked with a client that had to do family organization. So I will try to apply the same principles, but do take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, I'm using you off label. It's okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So in a business sense, there are a few key characteristics of a good system. For instance, when you use a system, it has to fall on one of the two ends of the scale. It has to be very close to the end from barely felt to really, really engaging as systems go. Say in business, when you do stuff like filing and it's boring and it's a potential for a huge mess. Mm -hmm. If it's really, really engaging, namely you have gorgeous folders, you have a song that you hum to yourself every time you do a certain kind of filing and you have another song when you do a certain kind of filing, say do invoices, and it's really a whole ritual and you're very much into it, then you're more likely to use it. That's the engaging end of the scale. On the other end, if it's barely felt, so when you do your filing, 
it's so perfectly optimized. It's so in alphabetical order and compute like your software does most of it and you barely need to engage. And there's like very, very little potential for mistakes. That's also very good. And that's the other end of the engagement skills. Like it's, you're almost not engaged at all because you don't need to. Okay. When I try to apply it to the household, when you have a ritual, say for brushing your teeth, right? You need to get your kids, kids to brush your teeth. It makes sense that if you make it fun and engaging and playful, your chances of getting your kid to brush your teeth go up exponentially. So I'll give you an example. We had this a few years ago. Um, my daughter was reluctant to go and take a bath because that meant that she has to go to bed and she's not one of those kids that loves sleeping. She wants to stay awake. So it was like, I don't want to go. <laughs> and one day she came home with a little um, hourglass. Incidentally, that came from a dentist. So her dentist, like her dentist gave a talk to recruit kindergartners uh, to come to her dental practice. And she brought this little set with um, a toothbrush and a toothpaste and this hourglass that spans, I think, a minute. Like this is how long you have to brush your teeth. So I took this hourglass and I said, okay, you need to do a bath. Can you do it in under one minute? And she's like, I don't think so. I'm like, let's try. Let's try and see if you can, when this hourglass just, you know, when the sand goes from one compartment to the other. So lo and behold, that was a challenge. That was interesting. Our bath time went really smoothly from then on for a good few weeks. It also has this motivation components like you only spend a minute on it. It's not a big deal. You'll be done. You'll be done with it by the time you would finish arguing otherwise. So that's kind of this fun engaging system. Same thing with brushing your teeth and doing anything that you don't necessarily like or doing your homework on subjects that you dislike. Like it's boring. I hate doing this a hundred times. Like math homework, boring. Okay, you can do, I don't know, you can do every third one. You can tell a story. You can, the point is you can make it fun and engaging for almost any ritual. Before we move on from timing stuff, I have to know how your kid took a bath in one minute. Um, very fast. <laughs> Look, we'll fill up the bath and then she hops in yep. and then there's soaping time and then she rinses her off. That's it. And mind you, it's a very small kid. There's not that much okay. things to wash, right? <laughs> Like a five-year-old it was a few years ago <laughs> that's awesome i'm sorry i was just like a minute wow you know maybe a couple times a week you'll do like a luxurious bath to make sure she's really clean <laughs> so like three minutes? no like half an hour <laughs> speaking of you know engaging bath time bath toys were invented for a reason right yeah bath stories oh we had this bath time stories that i would I would tell her like a really long story with sequels every time there was a bath time and the bath went on really great. It was fun. We had, you can call it a system. I never thought about it as a system before, but I guess you can call it a ritual because yeah. we knew how, like she knew what to expect. By the way, that's another important thing. Systems, habits, whatever creates clear expectations. And when expectations are clear, you kind of know what to do, or at least you know better what to do. That's awesome. That's a really good point that it creates clear expectations. Um, and also we're almost using systems and rituals interchangeably here, which is interesting to me because I would not, I don't think I would have made that connection otherwise. It, it completely counts, but I sort of associate rituals are a little more ceremonial in my head, I guess. And systems are a little more business-like, but they're, they're definitely, I mean, it's the, it's the repetition of a process. And so it's still a system, even if it's 
called a ritual. I completely agree. And systems in general, system is a combination of tools and methods. And ritual is essentially a method. I do want to point out, because you mentioned that rituals are part of the system and kind of didn't view it like a system before. When we talk about households, I think there are also like system systems and it falls more in the place of managing money in the household and maybe managing time. Not necessarily in this, on the small scale, but more like creating a weekly schedule around various activities, especially with kids. There's an abundance of kid activities. I personally struggle not to overschedule my child. Also, one of the things that I'm coming around to on that whole notion of time management, mm -hmm. yes, time management is a thing, but most of the time, it's not so much that we're managing time, it's more that we're managing energy. Oh, yeah. We're managing how much energy we have to do stuff and, and when do I do the thing that I need to do? When am I going to have the energy to do it? And I can see how the systems you're talking about help manage energy as well as time. That system for getting out of the house, if you don't have to think about it, right? if you can just do it, then instead of spending energy trying to find your backpack or your coat, instead that energy gets to be put somewhere else. And like you said, now we're asking about how your friends are doing. Now we're talking about the chorus lesson and we're engaging with our kid in a different way. That engagement fosters connection, which increases our energy level. It makes us feel more energetic as opposed to worn down on the way out the door because we can't find their boots. Yes, absolutely. It's actually true about every system, not just, you know, system that has to do with your kids, but let's say that system that I mentioned for managing money. When you have a good system to manage your household expenses and match them up with whatever income you're bringing in as a family, in most cases, right? In most cases, you feel more in control of your financial situation and your financial anxieties tend to go down. So you have more energy left to enjoy whatever it is that you're doing instead of worrying about, you know, can I buy a new dresser because my old one is falling apart? Do I have money for the dental surgery, God forbid? When you have more of a control, and never mind that when you have more control, you also tend to have a bigger cushion and you're less anxious about it. It doesn't put strain on your relationships with your family. You suddenly realize that you can afford things that you didn't think you can afford. You don't worry about it as much. Or when there are times that you need to worry, you still feel in control. So you're more likely to do stuff. Like you're more likely to be productive about your money situation because you see the picture and because you have this feeling that you can change it. You're the one that makes the decisions. And related to that, if we have a strong system for managing our money, well, I don't want to dig in too deep into that because that's a whole nother episode. Oh God, yeah. But if we have a strong system for managing our money, some of that pressure is taken off, mm -hmm. however much it may be, hopefully more rather than less, but some amount of that pressure is taken off. Now we have the energy to engage with our spouse, with our kid in more meaningful ways that are going to then pay those dividends I mentioned earlier, where that connection is going to help us feel more energetic, feel more connected to everything. Absolutely. Like for instance, when you're not worn down on the weekend, you're more likely to go and take, say, a hike in the woods and do a picnic with your family rather than fall mindlessly in front of a TV and send your kids to, your, to their room to watch videos because you just want to relax and die on the sofa. So I want to bounce back to the engaging versus invisible, mm -hmm. how that's kind of the best way to go on either side of the spectrum. I was thinking about 
two systems that we have in my house. Hmm. Um, one is around brushing your teeth and one is around leaving. And the toothbrushing one is that, and I wish I could remember the name of the toothbrushes right now, but my kids have these toothbrushes that play music while they brush their teeth. Oh, they're awesome. They, uh, they ha- there's an app that comes with them. I'm eventually going to do a whole thing on, on dental stuff. I'm going to bring in their dentist um, on, the, on the podcast. Oh, that's cool. But they have an app that goes onto their tablet and is synced up to their toothbrush. There's like a video of teeth with like sugar bugs and stuff on them. Oh, wow. Yeah. When you brush your teeth with a toothbrush, it can detect where in your mouth you are brushing. And so like foam shows up on that part of the teeth in the, in the video and the sugar bugs all disappear and it plays a song while you brush and then it makes a happy little chime and you have to change to another part of your mouth to brush. Oh my goodness. I can't decide if it's ridiculously awesome or completely creepy or both. It's a little bit of both. Yeah. It's, but it, it boils down to awesome because your kid brushes their teeth and, and it does, the teeth are like cartoon teeth. So it's not like creepy teeth on the video. Oh, I understand. But the fact that the app knows exactly what you're doing inside your body. Yeah. It's wow. Pretty, pretty amazing. And that's a ritual and a, and a system that is really engaging and gets them going and they do a much better job brushing their teeth now. And our leaving system is mostly invisible because the hooks are right near the door. Their bags are right near the door. It's all on the way out. So we just kind of grab it and go. The only time that it's not super invisible is when we have to get snow pants and boots. And then it's all still there, but they're not, they don't have the habit. They haven't established the habit of always getting the snow pants and boots because it only happens sometimes. Right. So interestingly, the way we deal with that, and it's part of the system, when I think about it, that part of our ritual in the morning is checking the weather app and making a decision what we wear, like what, what kind of coat we wear. So that's part of the system, this little decision making. All, all coats are there. All coats are in the same rack. So if she has a lighter coat and she has like a winter coat and snow pants, they're all there. But... I don't know, 20 minutes before we leave the house, kind of before she even starts her breakfast, we look at the weather app and that's already an ingrained habit. And we tell, what are we going to wear? Like what kind of boots, what kind of coat? Is it a snow pants day? Is it not snow pants day? Is it a sneaker day? Because she has PE. Our system has a component that helps us make the choice. And this little choice is a part of the method. So this way we usually end up with the right clothing. That's interesting because I tend to think of systems as a way to avoid choices because if you have too many choices, you just get overwhelmed and and now I'm making decision after decision. So I tend to think of systems as a way to predetermine decisions so that you don't have to make them, but you've built this decision point into the system to help you avoid a pitfall. And I need to start doing that. Yes. And if we talk for a second about more complex systems, because you do have to make decisions, right? And not every system is just for mundane repetitive tasks. Some systems are in place to help you support your choices. So there are a couple of things I want to talk about here. One, having a limited choice, especially when we talk about ADHD, Mm -hmm. is not necessarily a bad thing because... What I notice, and correct me if I'm wrong, system can't be too rigid. Otherwise, people would rebel against it. Right. Right? Even if it's invisible, unless it's like completely invisible. But when a system is too rigid and too strict and too repetitive, 
and has no choice built in, that could create kind of a defiance effect. Like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And you also need to build in forgiveness too, because if, if you have a system and you've got ADHD and you do okay for a week and then you screw it up, there's a good chance you're just going to stop doing it. Oh, big time. Absolutely. I love the point about forgiveness. And it plays well with what we said about expectations, right? Mm -hmm. You have to have clear expectations. So part of these set of expectations is from the get-go, you know that you're going to break your habits once in a while, and that's okay. And because you know it's going to happen, you have a way out or a way back to use the system because now it's not a tragedy and you're not worthless because you can't keep up. It's just part you know, just part of the process. That's just how life is. When you lo- try to lose weight and you're on a diet, and I'm speaking from experience here, it's inevitable that you will break your regimen from time to time because this is just how we are. Even the most organized and most you know, self-determined people with steel will, we will break it sometimes. Right. And same is true with every kind of ritual. Sometimes, you know, you get up in the morning and you have a blinding headache and it's just hard to follow, or you had a bad dream, you had a virus, whatever, something happened. Your friend just won the lottery. <laughs> <laughs> if we're going on the positive side, your friend had a baby, a long awaited baby, and you're excited and it's hard for you to focus on the regular daily things. This happens. You will break your system. You will break your habit. And that's fine. You'll get back to it. And we need to build in flexibility around our systems, both for the sake of rebelling against them and the sake of just messing up here and there and and forgiving that. Yes. Yes. I really, really agree with that. We're understanding the value of systems. They they exist to help sort of open up some bandwidth, I guess is a way to put it, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's a wonderful way of putting it. Um, Like mental bandwidth, not computer bandwidth. Um. <laughs> and physical bandwidth too, because you don't only have more mental space, you have more energy, you have more time, you have mm-hmm. more resources because you don't spend them on battling like regular things. So it's bandwidth in every possible sense, aside the maybe internet. I'm thinking about a client that I work with. Mm-hmm. This is an adult client. She like owns a company and is trying to get everything nailed down and she's come a long way. And then she bought a new house. That's a lot of change. And all of her systems are different now because she's in a new house. We shifted our focus from working on business stuff and helping her nail that down to working on house stuff and getting the house stuff nailed so that she could focus on her business stuff. That's where I think the value of what you do comes in for my audience, where being able to look at your morning routine as a system being able to look at bath time as a ritual, whichever one is the better choice for you. One to me sort of implies some efficiency and some business stuff, that systems. And then ritual brings in some, like a deeper meaning, I guess, like more of a, of a social connection aspect to it, which is sort of why I went the way I went, right? Like out, out the door, that's a system. Going to bed, that's a ritual. <laughs> being able to use those to offset the stress of just daily life and the frustration is going to make it easier to do your job. It's going to make it easier to interact with your kids. It's going to make it easier to interact with your spouse. That I really think is the value of what we're talking about here. And and that's why I'm using you off label because I, I don't know that folks with ADHD think about systems and rituals enough and particularly those who are really struggling. 
Yeah, there is a paradox. So I've been on David Allen's workshop once. Uh, David Allen, for those who are not familiar, he's the father of modern productivity movement. He's the guy who wrote Getting Things Done. Mm -hmm. And I really, really like his work. You know, it's a little dated, but the principles are still as brilliant. And he said that paradoxically, people who are drawn to systems and productivity methods and rituals are the people who are naturally more organized and who tend to need it the least. So it's in that sense, it's kind of the rich get richer already, which is all the more reason in my mind to bring systems back to people who don't feel that it's naturally in their wheelhouse because the lag there is even bigger and the benefit, therefore, like the gap is bigger to close and the benefit with each small piece of system is even bigger than that. I think a key point to bring up here for the ADHD side of it, mm -hmm. systems don't have to be complicated. Oh God, you're so right. Yeah. Systems like they have to be simple. You're not managing a wharf here. You run a household with a few members. You want your life to be simple. I want my life to be simple. I don't know about other people, but I assume <laughs> most of us don't intentionally want to complicate our daily routines. What about unique events, right? Like how do we, how do we systematize unique events? Going to grandma's house, going on vacation. How do we help build a system around those types of things? So there are a few components. There are different scenarios for different occurrences. For instance, if I'm going on vacation, I usually know ahead of time that I'm going on vacation. So I sit down and I plan and I make lists. I put reminders in place and I know that I block off time on my calendar to do the packing and so on and so forth. Well, hold on. Let's not so on and so forth that because the listeners want to know all of the so ons and all of the so forths. <laughs> so we've got a list. We've, got, we've blocked off time in the calendar. What else should we, should we be doing? You make a list of what needs to be done. And then you make a list of what needs to be packed for each member of the family. And then you decide who does the packing. Because for instance, a three-year-old cannot pack her own suitcase, but a 10-year-old definitely can. And then you just need to revise and make sure it's all in. And you know, give your child this list. You need to make sure that you have a specific time dedicated when you pack. Incidentally, this Friday is going to be dedicated to packing because Saturday we fly for two weeks. Oh, wow. Right now, I have a basic list, a spreadsheet, and I have a list for long vacations, everything that needs to be taken on long vacations. And naturally, the specific shorts and pants vary. And six years ago, I had diapers and diaper cream and such like, and now I do not. So we took some items off that list. And these just sit in your computer ready for the next long trip. You just have like a document that you work off of. Exactly. They sit on my Google Drive and I can very easily access them. By the way, speaking of that, I don't remember which folder they sit in. I search. There's a system in there that's hiding, right? It's on your Google Drive. Yeah. And that means you can get it, get at it wherever you are. So if you are if you don't have something that you need and you're going to the store to get it, you can call that Google Drive up on your phone and still have the list of stuff that you need and buy the things you need to get. Exactly. And for people who don't want to deal with Google Drive, you can just send it to yourself via email and then you can search your email three years from now when the time comes up to pack for a vacation. Again, the key here is to search and not to remember where exactly you buried it. Tapping into that notion that a 10-year-old can 
pack their own suitcase, right? A 10 year old can clean their own room and mm -hmm. all that stuff. And then looping back to that engaging idea. Um, something I did, this is cleaning, cleaning a room, mm -hmm. but it would work with packing a suitcase too. My guys get a little distracted sometimes. I can't imagine why. And also they're identical twins. So they distract each other on top of just getting distracted. And they were cleaning the room one day. We wanted to go to Thor Ragnarok. So it's a little while ago. Um, I don't think I've told this story in the podcast yet. We have an Alexa. Mm -hmm. I love Alexa. It's magic because it talks to you and reminds you of stuff. So what I did was we had 25 minutes to get to before we had to leave for Thor. And I'm like, guys, you got to clean your room. If we're going to go to Thor, we're not going if you don't have it clean. And then I thought about that for a second and I went, okay, I have to clean the basement. So I'm not going to be up here. I won't be able to be on top of them. They're not going to get their room cleaned in 25 minutes because they're going to just wind up finding a toy that they're picking up and then playing with it for 15 minutes. And there goes more than half the time. So I set Alexa and I set a reminder every five minutes. <laughs> That's genius. Yeah. Um, and all it did was Alexa said, this is your reminder, clean your room. And that's great, but it's not engaging enough because they could ignore it or they could push back against it and be like, shut up, Alexa, and be resi resistant to it. So I grabbed a piece of paper and a clipboard and I made a T-chart. One side said cleaning, the other side said distracted. And I gave it to Nate and I said, every time you guys hear Alexa, all you have to do is put a mark where you are. Are you cleaning or are you distracted? And I don't even care which one gets the mark. I just want you to do that because it forces them to listen. It raises their attention and gets a little bit of a record. And so of the five times that Alexa went off, four times they were cleaning, one time they were distracted. Nice. Yeah. And it's only because I made them pay attention to it. It's only because of that T-chart that they were focused on cleaning. Competitive juices get flowing. They want to be doing the right thing. You know, all of that stuff is happening. Oh, that's brilliant. And that's a system within a system, right? There's a system for cleaning their room, which they know. Mm -hmm. But that this was a system inside of that even. And so technology really lets us set reminders and develop systems in a different way. That's awesome. Wow. I really like that. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I do want to go off on a little tangent here because you touched on a point that I think is really important when it comes to system, systems in general, and especially systems in the household. So you said that you had to clean the basement so you couldn't supervise them. So you devised this genius way of making them pay attention. But that underscores the importance of kind of social engagement. So whenever I can, I try to do stuff in the same space. Sometimes even presence is enough. Mm -hmm. So for instance, and this is a, an example from a working world. I work for myself. So most of the time I sit by myself in my office and it can get pretty lonely and it's very easy to go on, you know, a long Facebook rabbit hole and right. wake up an hour later. Yep. So a system to battle that is I have another solopreneur. And twice a week, we go on Zoom. We do a little small talk at the beginning and say, I'm going to do this over the next two hours. And I'm going to do that. Like, I'm going to pitch to this blog and I'm going to send these three emails to these three important people. Okay, great. We reconvene in an hour. So we turn off the video and the audio. But the effect of being in the same headspace with another person that does something similar to you is really focusing. 
And it's even more true when, for instance, I'm cooking in the kitchen and my daughter sits there and does her homework there at the kitchen table. The fact that I'm there makes it more engaging, makes it more social. So the chances of her going through her homework become much, much higher. In the ADHD world, we call that the body double. And it's really effective. In terms of working from home, I do that too. And I don't have nearly enough systems. So I'd love to pick your brain for a minute or two, because I'm sure some of my listeners work, do work from home. And how do, we, how do we get ourselves motivated to do the thing we need to do when there's less accountability? How do we manage the kids that float around sometimes? So I can tell you what I do and what I've seen my clients do, because a big chunk of them work from home as well. There's you know, entrepreneurs. So the first thing, kind of the foundation, is to create a recurrent schedule. And in general, I really believe in recurrent schedules because then you know on Mondays you sit and write, and on Tuesdays you record your podcasts, and on Wednesdays you edit your episodes, and on Thursdays you email your list. And of course, there are more to that. And then every time on Tuesday, I need to pick up my daughter at 2.45, and then I drive her to one of her extracurriculars, and then I have an hour and a half of work while she's there. I imagine that that recurring schedule idea also works outside of business. And it could be like every Monday we have grilled cheese, every Tuesday we have steak, every Wednesday we have, I don't know, spaghetti or something. I think it would definitely work. Uh, specifically for meal planning, it's in my mind a little trickier because I found that it's way easier to rebel against. Like for <laughs> some people it works really well, but oh great, today's spaghetti day, I love spaghetti. Today's pizza day, I love pizza. Uh, but for some people, more adults, I think, than kids, it's like, no, I'm sick of it. I can't like, I can't. <laughs> this is when the rebellion against rigid boundaries flares up. I'm sorry, I totally derailed what you're saying. No, that's, that's fine. But it's actually a good point because when you have this uh, set schedule, right, whether mm -hmm. it's for your business or for your meals, you can use it as a basis to switch, switch things up. Mm -hmm. So let's say you created your basic schedule of grilled cheese on Monday and salmon on Wednesdays and what have you, you know, pizza on Fridays because it's Friday. Yep. And you go at it for a couple of weeks and your family starts making noises that, <laughs> that they're unhappy. And it was like, okay, great. But now you have all the building blocks and you can just rearrange them. And it's easier than coming up with a completely different schedule and not knowing what to do. You can just easily, you know, replace Monday with a Friday. And there you go. And I imagine if I'm working at home, I could do the same thing in a lot of cases. Absolutely. I don't feel like I can have something to say to my list. Great. I'll edit my podcast and I'll do something to get my juices flowing the next Monday. So that's really the foundation. Have a set schedule. It's usually easier when it comes to working schedule because within each time block, you have a lot of choice and work brings you, you know, different challenges for the same kind of work. Like writing brings you different challenges. Outreach, it's different outreach every time you do outreach, even stuff like invoicing. So when you have a set schedule, how do you make it effective? Like how do you work within the schedule? A social component is important. So if you can find someone who is a body double and you can dedicate a few blocks throughout the week to just do it with somebody, it's great. Joining a mastermind that would keep you focused on your work is amazing because then you don't only have a social component of people brainstorming with you what it is that you want to do and you feel that you can help somebody else brainstorm about their ideas. You have commitments. Mm -hmm. 
you commit to your mastermind buddies that in a month you will create a webinar, build a a landing page for said webinar, and email your list twice about said webinar, something like that. And so we're setting up systems day by day. Do we also want to set up things like in the morning, I always look at my schedule to find out what I'm doing for that day or for the week? Absolutely. Okay. You know how you mentioned systems within a system? I love nested systems because in almost everything, everything that we do, there's this big horizon of like where I want to be in five years. And there's this teeny tiny, you know, immediate thing. What am I going to have for breakfast? Or what am I going to write in the next paragraph? And then there's a whole scale in between. And the problem for most people is it's very hard to make a transition between orders of magnitude, so to speak, right? It's very hard to make a transition between my plans for following month to my plans for the next hour, never mind next week. And these small rituals, they keep us grounded in the moment, right? So if I have my plans for the week and then I break them down into my daily plans, incidentally, I started using the Momentum Planners by Charlie Gilkey, and so far I'm really loving it. I don't have any affiliate links to Charlie Gilkey. Uh, I just really like his work and his products. And he's all about you know, having your yearly objectives and your quarterly objectives, and then he breaks it down to every month and every month into every week and every week into every day if you really want to. I can't do it for every day because that's just too much for me, but I have rituals. I know what I do when I open my computer in the morning. I know what I do when I come back from lunch. I have rituals for as many transitions as I can because transitions are the pitfalls. Transitions are where we tend to fall off the grid. That's amazing. That's a, such a good point, especially for people with ADHD. That's where it's hard. Yeah, yeah. So making a ritual around those transitions to help facilitate them is huge. And on one hand, I wish I could tell you, these are the rituals, use them. Right. Unfortunately, this is not how it works. You have to design your own ritual. And the only guidelines I could think of is make it quick, make it very well defined, like make it very well known when you start and when you finish. So developing a ritual around a transition, we want to make it quick. We want to make it very well defined. So it's clear when it starts and it's clear when it ends. And if we're still struggling, we should contact Marina Darlow, who can be found. Vision-framework.com. And should they email you at what? Marina at vision-framework.com. But seriously, come to my website. There are forms (laughs) that are bound there to contact me. There are buttons, there are pop-ups saying contact me here, sign up for this stuff. It's free. Uh, seriously, come to my virtual home. I really love interacting with my readers. I answer every email. I would love to see you. Just being mindful of time and seeing that, uh, that we're coming up on that hour. Do you have any ending essentials around rituals or systems that you want to make sure we get to before we wrap up? I think a big parting thought is make it simple. It doesn't have to be complicated and mix it up from time to time. So when you start building rituals, remember how we talked about expectations? Mm -hmm. Create the expectations that every few months you would need to mix it up for the novelty of it to work, right? So you stay engaged. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at adhdessentials.com.
And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.